Luke chapter 15. How many of you, while you're turning there, just raising your hand, how many of you would say that you have had a boss before? Anybody have a boss before? Okay, I have had a boss or two in my day, and it is always an exciting time to have a boss. Um, I was actually pretty lucky. All growing up, I had the opportunity to know my bosses. Uh, My first boss ever was my uncle. And uh, I worked on his farm, which was awesome. I loved that, enjoyed that time thoroughly. Um, and that, so it was fun. I got to talk to him. I remember the first time I got to ride in the tractor with him. That was such, so much fun. It was such a blast to be learning from him. And he would tell me why we did things and how, how it was supposed to be done and all of those different things. My next boss was actually at Faithway, and so uh, he was the pastor of the church, and I had the, the opportunity to spend some time with him, be alone with him, learn from him, ask him some questions and different things like that, and uh, so that was an awesome opportunity. And then I started here at Bible Baptist, and I got to know Pastor Stone very well. I got to interact with him and talk to him and ask him all kinds of questions and learn from him and all these different things. So those were my bosses. I enjoyed that chance to develop a relationship with my bosses. It's an awesome opportunity. But I did have a stint where I worked for Lang's Bus Lines. I drove a bus for a little while while I was here at Bible Baptist as we were just getting started. And I drove a van for special needs kids. And I love that. I still to this day miss that. It was so much fun. But I don't think in my time at Lang's Bus Lines, I don't think I ever once talked to my boss. I don't think I ever once talked to them. I remember even when I decided that it was time for me to quit and move on and continue more full-time here at the church, I remember I actually talked to my dispatcher. I didn't even talk to my boss. I just talked to the dispatcher and said, hey, just so you know, I'm, I'm not coming to work anymore. Uh, I'll give you my two weeks notice and it all worked out. But the, I, I don't think I ever once met them, talked to them. My, my location manager, his name was Peter. I have no idea to this day what his last name was. It was Peter. I remember seeing him. I don't think I ever talked to Peter. And then Doug Langs was the owner of Langs Bus Lines. Again, I don't know if I ever even saw the man or talked to him. You say, Pastor Jones, what in the world are you getting to? Just a second. I want to tell you the best part about working. The best part about working is the paycheck, Right? Somebody, somebody talk to me here. Let's go. The best part about working is the paycheck. For all of you teenagers who are not working yet, trust me, the best part about working is the paycheck. It's so much fun when you put in all that time, all that effort, and you have money to spend at the end of the day. I was the type of person, especially at Lang's, that didn't really have a need to know my boss. I didn't really need to know him. Right? I didn't need to know Doug Langs. I didn't really need to know Peter. But listen, as long as I showed up and got my paycheck at the end of the week, I was happy. Did my job, did what I needed to do, got my paycheck. And I think most people feel this way. Most people are just, show up, do your job. I don't really need to have a relationship with the person who signs my checks. Maybe I need to have a relationship with the person I immediately report to, but I don't necessarily need to know the person signing the checks. To the point, I think this is how many of us view God in our lives. A lot of times we view God as a, as a boss. 
I just do what I'm told to do. I just be where I'm supposed to be when I'm supposed to be them, be there. And we just view him as a boss, a person to whom we work for. And quite frankly, as long as he keeps giving us, quote, the paycheck, right? As long as he keeps blessing us, we'll be happy. We'll, we'll continue to work for him. As long as he continues to bless us and, and, and we, we can continue to be content. But the moment that our, quote, boss does anything that we don't like, what happens? We get frustrated with him, don't we? I remember some changes happened at Lang's, and the, the excuse was always, this is what the leadership wants us to do, right? This is what leadership wants us to do. So I remember Francine was my dispatcher, and I remember saying, Francine, why are they doing this? This is just what I was told to do, right? And so then what happens is you're no longer frustrated with the person telling you, the messenger. You become frustrated with the leadership. And I remember they were doing some things. I'm like, why are they doing this? I just couldn't wrap my head around it. So I was getting frustrated by the leadership. And here is what happens with God sometimes, doesn't it? Because we don't know the leadership, because we don't know what is going on with God, we can't think the way that he thinks, we get frustrated by him. God, what are you doing? Why aren't you doing things the way that I asked you to do? And sometimes we can even get angry with God. How many of you have ever met someone who acted like they were the boss? Anybody? <laughs> okay. How many of you have ever met this person that even spoke on behalf of the boss? Like they knew what the boss was thinking. Oh, yeah. We've got, we know people like that. We hate people like that. We hate people. Like, and, and you know, you know for a fact that they have no relationship with the boss. They probably never even talked to him before, but they coming down on you like they know everything, like they have the best relationship with the boss. Once again, Christianity often has a bad reputation of doing this exact thing. We are good. Christianity is really good at talking the talk. Christianity is really good about telling everybody what they ought to be doing, acting like we have a relationship with the boss, when in reality, everybody knows that there is no relationship at all. Well, we're good at following the rules. We're good at doing what we're supposed to do. The problem, however, is that in these instances, we have a hard time thinking that we might be the one with the problem. So as we begin this morning, I want every single person not to think about someone else this morning. It's easy to do that when we're sitting in a service, right? Don't, don't look at me like that, right? Every one of us has a problem with this. I remember when I'd be sitting here, I think, oh, that person needs that. They need that. They should be here to hear that. Listen, I want you to cancel that out of your mind. And this morning, I want you to ask yourself one question over and over and over again. And it's this. Is this me? Is this me? Is this me? We're going to walk through several things here. But ask yourself, is this me? I want you to look at Luke chapter 15 and verse 1. Luke chapter 15 and verse 1, the Bible says, Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. I want you just to stop there. I want you to notice the group of people that's coming. Publicans and sinners. What are they coming for? Look again in that verse, for to hear him. They're coming to hear Jesus. They're coming to listen to Jesus. They're coming to understand Jesus. They're coming to hear what he has to say and glean from his teaching. They want to hear 
Jesus. We have one group of people, the publicans and the sinners. Look at verse 2. And the Pharisees and the scribes murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. There's a second group of people. The second group of people is the Pharisees. So if you're alliterating, it's publicans, Pharisees. They both start with P, okay? You guys are going to have to wake up this morning. This second group of people are present, and they are coming for the sole purpose to murmur against Jesus and the other group of people. So this is what happens. They come and they say, oh, Jesus, he's doing things that he shouldn't be doing. He's spending time with these sinners and he shouldn't be. And no rabbi would ever spend any time with these people. And they're wicked and they're vile. And they begin lambasting Jesus and the publicans. So Jesus, in verse 3, says this. And he spake this parable unto them, saying. Then we get into verse 4. What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he lose one? Of them, doth he not leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after that which is lost? And then we find the next parable is about the lost coin, right? There's 100 sheep and then there's 10 coins and one of them is lost and the lady searches for it and tries to find it. And then we find all the way down in verse 11. And he said, Jesus still speaking, a certain man had two sons. A certain man had two Sons, do you find it interesting that there are two groups of people to whom Jesus is talking to and that there are two sons? Do you, anybody think that's coincidence? Listen, Jesus doesn't often do things by coincidence. There's a reason why he's getting down because there's two groups of people and there are two sons. Look at verse 12. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto, notice, them his living. So both sons get their living. Most of us read the story of the prodigal son, which we uh, dealt with the first son two weeks ago. The prodigal son. This is the story. And often what happens again is we often think about someone else who has gone astray and walked away from the Father, and they need to come back. That's what we do. We read the story of the prodigal son, we think, oh man, I wish that person would come back. Oh man, I wish that would happen. I wish this would go and that would go, and I wish that person would just get right with God. But we're missing the whole point of the story. Don't get me wrong, that is one point of the story. But I'm, I'm afraid often when we read the parable of the prodigal son and we understand it, we forget the whole point of the story. The point of the story is that there are two sons, which means there are two sinners. Don't miss this. There are two sons, which means there are two sinners in this story. Two very loved sons, but two sinners. One is an open sinner who wasted his substance with riotous living. He's an open sinner. He wasted it. The other son stays. He doesn't go away. He stays. But I want you to notice this. He never gets any closer to his father. Almost like his father is just a boss. Almost like his father is just his employer, both of these sons knew who their father was, but neither of them, don't miss this, neither of them knew their father's heart. 
They both knew who their father was. Oh, my father, he has many servants. And I know that if I come back to him, I can be one of his servants. And they have bread enough to eat. They knew who his father was, but he did not know his father's heart. You can see that when his father comes running to him and says, listen, you're not a servant of mine. You're my son. And I'm going to put a robe on you, and I'm going to give you a ring, and I'm going to put shoes on your feet, and we're going to throw a massive party. Listen, his son did not know who his father or his father's heart, he knew he was. And likewise, we see the older brother. Our focus of our attention today is going to be on this older brother. Once again, I want you to think about yourself. Ask yourself the question, is this me? Look down with me at verse 24. Just to give you a little bit of context, this is the story. The Bible says, for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. Verse 25, now his elder son, notice where he was, was in the field. And as he came and drew nigh to the house, he heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. He said unto him, thy brother is come. And thy father hath killed the fatted calf, because he hath received him safe and sound. And notice verse 28, and he was angry and would not go in. Therefore came his father out and entreated him. And he answering said to his father, lo, these many years do I serve thee. Neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment. And yet thou never gavest me a kid that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this thy son was come which hath devoured thy living with harlots, thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. And he said unto him, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. It was meet that we should make merry and be glad. For this thy brother was dead and is alive again, was lost and is found. The older brother can be a picture of what goes on week after week here at Bible Baptist. To be a picture of what goes on here week after week here at Bible Baptist, I want to show you three attributes of the religious. I want to show you three attributes of the religious that lack relationship with their father. Three attributes of the religious that lack relationship with the father. Number one, a natural tendency to petty anger. A natural tendency to petty anger. Notice with me again in verse 27. And he said unto him, thy brother is come and thy father hath killed the fatted calf because he hath received him safe and sound. I want you just to stop there. When you hear that, do you not just get a little bit excited? When you hear, listen, your brother is come home. Your father has received him. It's an exciting day. Everything's wonderful. We've killed the fatted calf. We're having a party inside. It's awesome. I get excited about that. Praise the Lord that my brother has come home. But notice verse 28. He does not do that. And he was angry. And he was angry. Notice, and would not go in. Does this make any sense to you? His brother who was lost has finally come home. His brother who has gone astray has finally come home and he's angry? So petty angry that notice he would not go in. I love, I love the, the specifics of the Bible. The Bible doesn't say that he didn't go in. 
The Bible says he would not go in. If I can put it in one word, very simply it would be, hmm. Crossing his arms, you, hmm. I am not going in there. I don't, I don't care how much fun it looks like they're having in there. I am not going in there. I don't care how much good food is in there. I am not going in there. I just came from the field working hard, and I am not going in there to enjoy that food. Oh, I don't care how full the punch bowl is. I am not going in there. I don't care who's in there. I don't care what's going on in there. I am not going in. His father literally had to come out looking for him. By the way, that's not what a father does, especially in ancient times. A father doesn't come begging for his sons. A father surely doesn't go running for his son that's been in a pigsty for who knows how long. But listen, this father is different than most fathers. This father cares about his sons, and so he comes out looking for him and asking him simply what's wrong. What's going on? I think most of the time it's easy for us to look at someone who's angry and think, you need to stop. Hey, just knock it off, right? That's, that's simple. That's easy. Don't, don't worry about that. It's not that big of a deal. It's easy for us on the outside, right? Like, come on, buddy. What's the big deal? Knock it off. Go in and congratulate your brother. But I want you to understand something about people who are angry. To people who are angry, it is a big deal. Otherwise, they wouldn't be angry about it. It's a big deal to them. I know I've had people tell me when I'm angry to settle down. (laughs) That doesn't make me happier. It doesn't cause me to settle down. In fact, it quite amps me up just a little bit more. The best question to ask in this moment, the best question to ask in this moment is this. Why am I angry? Why am I angry? Again, listen, I want you to understand, this is exactly what the father asks him. Look at verse 28. And he was angry and would not go in. Notice, therefore came his father out and entreated him. Asked him, hey, what's going on? Why are you angry? So this morning, again, I want you to ask yourself, is this me? And then ask yourself, why am I angry? Why am I angry? Perhaps, number two, it's because a grotesque emphasis is on personal effort. A grotesque emphasis on personal effort. This is an attribute of the religious that lacks relationship with the father. Look at verse 29. So his father says, hey, what's wrong? What's going on? I see that there's a problem. What's happening? Look at verse 29. And he, being the son, answering said to his father, watch. Lo, these many years do I serve thee. Neither transgress I at any time, at any time, thy commandment. And yet thou never gavest me a kid that I might make merry with my friends. A grotesque emphasis on personal effort. This is almost slimy. And I have done all of this for you. I've done everything. I've worked hard for you. I've done all of these things. I've obeyed every commandment 
I have done everything that you have asked me to do. I have been the, quote, perfect son. In fact, Father, I just literally came in from the field doing your work. Can you feel the sliminess of this? Can you feel the grotesqueness of this? Simply asking, can't you see what I have done for you? By the way, this is exactly what the Pharisees would say over and over and over again. I, I, I keep all the commandments. I do everything that I'm supposed to do. I fast three times in a week. I, I'm doing all of these different things. This is who I am. This is what I have done. Look at me. Look at me. Look at me. Religious people often want everybody to know what they are doing. Because everything is tied up in what they're doing. We often look at what we are doing. They want everybody to know how hard of a worker they are. In our day, it manifests itself very similarly, and it sounds something like this. God, look what I've done for you. I sing. I teach Sunday school. I'm here every time the church doors are open. I read my Bible every day. I pray at every mealtime. I help little old ladies cross the street. I'm a nice person. Look at all the work that I have done for you. I do this and I do that. Can't you see what I'm doing for you? Again, a good question to ask here is this. Is this me? Do I care more about what I'm putting my personal effort into? Do I boast myself of my own personal effort? Do I do this? And if you do, ask yourself this question. Why do I care so much about what I have done? Why do I care so much about what I have done? Because there's number three. Because number three, there is a mountainous amount of perpetual bitterness. Each word in this phrase is important. A mountainous amount of perpetual bitterness. I want you to notice with me in verse 29. The Bible says this. He answering said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee. Neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment watch. And yet thou never gavest me a kid that I might make merry. But as soon as this, thy son has come, which hath devoured thy living with harlots, thou hast killed for him the fatted, fatted calf. Can you feel the bitterness? Oh, I've been doing all this for so long. And yet, you've never done anything nice for me. And yet, you've never thrown a party for me and my friends. You've never tried to make me happy. I just keep working and keep working and keep working. And you never do anything for me but this, the disgusting one, thy son. Notice he doesn't say my brother. He says thy son. I've done that with my wife once or twice. When my kids have been bad, it's your kid. Whenever something goes bad, guess what we do? We put the blame on somebody else. Why? Because we're looking at ourselves and saying, listen, I have done all of this, and I have never received what I deserved. Oh, my goodness, be careful. I have done all of this, and yet I've never received what I deserved. 
I have worked hard for you. I've obeyed. I've done all of this, and you've never thrown a party for me, my friends. This stinking kid shows up. You throw him a party. For what? Because he threw your money away? He's devoured your living with harlots. Because he did that, you're just going to throw him a major party? You're going to give all this good stuff? Listen, there's not one of us, there's not one of us that would reward bad doing like this. Right? Am I right here? Not one of us would reward wickedness the way that this father is rewarding wickedness. And that's exactly how the son's looking at it. He's going, what's the big deal? He's thrown your money away. He's done everything wrong that you've taught him not to do. You've gone over and above and given him everything. And he still gets a party? I've been here with you. I've walked with you. I've been serving you. It's pretty obvious that this bitterness had been mounting for some time. And it would continue for years and years to come. Have you ever looked at somebody who has a lot, physically speaking, and wondered how come they have so much and yet live so wickedly? Have you ever thought that? How come the wicked have so much? How come they have this awesome boat and this awesome cottage and this beautiful thing and this beautiful car? And how come they have so much money and they've got a beautiful home and I'm working and I'm serving God and I'm doing all of these things? And quite frankly, I don't have any of that. Why? We will compare ourselves and we easily become bitter toward, guess who, God and the other people. There is no doubt in my mind that this elder son is bitter toward his father and his brother. He's bitter. He's angry. What happens is that builds and builds and builds. And guess what? It becomes a source of perpetual bitterness down the road. A good question to ask here again is, is this me? Is this me? Another good question to ask here is, if that's true, it is you, why am I so concerned about what I receive? Why am I so concerned with what I receive? I think sometimes in this story, we forget that both of their son, both of these sons, got their portion of the inheritance. It's easy for us to remember that the younger son got his portion, right? Oh, he blew it all. That's the focus of the story. But we forget that the older son received his inheritance as well. In fact, according to Jewish tradition, the eldest son would receive a double portion. Again, according to Jewish tradition, from what I could figure out, the older son would have received two-thirds of the father's inheritance. Two-thirds. Don't miss this, okay? He has more money than his brother did at the beginning, and guess what he's still doing? Complaining. 
he's still complaining. He's still wondering. He's still bawling. He's still being a baby. He's got so much of his father's inheritance, yet he's still complaining. It's grotesque. It's a source of perpetual bitterness. He had so much, yet he still wanted so much more. The disturbing part of this story is that even though his older son stuck around, notice this, he had never learned the heart of his father. Don't miss this. Please don't miss this. The most disturbing part of this story is that though the older son had stuck around, he had still never learned the heart of his father. His father, again, was basically a boss to him. I've served thee. I've done everything you've commanded me, but I still don't know your heart. I want you to look at Luke chapter 15 and verse 31 of our text. The Bible says this. And he, being the father, said unto him, Son, notice, thou art ever with me. And all that I have is thine. I think his son already knew that. I'm still with you. And I'm, I'm the older son. I get everything. My father actually does pass away. Everything comes to me. The farm, the home farm comes to me. But I want you to know verse 32. It was meat. It was necessary. It was important. What? That we should make merry and be glad. For this, thy brother was dead and is alive again was lost and is found. The heart of the father was not punishment. The heart of the father was not rectifying the shame that his younger son had placed upon him. Notice with me, the heart of the father was a heart of compassion. Don't miss this. The heart of the father was a heart of compassion. The heart of the father was a heart of love this my son this thy brother was lost and is found don't miss this the heart of the father was a heart of relationship compassion love and relationship many times we care so much about our desires that we never seek to understand the heart of the Father. Sometimes we care so much about our desires that we never seek to understand the heart of the Father. I want you to notice verse 32. Look at the end of it. Should there not be a verse 33? Should there not be, and the Son got over himself and walked in with the Father and said, all right, I'm with you, let's do this thing. Let's rejoice for our, my brother's home. Should there not be a verse 33? There absolutely should, but you know what? The story is left with a cliffhanger. But you know, again, I want to refer you back to verse 1 and 2. There was two groups of people. We know how the story ends. This is how the story ends. In fact, one commentator said something very similar to this. The older son grabbed a stick 
literally beat his father to death. That's how the story ends. Because you realize that the Pharisees, Sadducees, and the high priests, you know what they did to Jesus? They literally beat him with a stick. Beat him with a cat of nine tails. Put him up on a cross because they continued to not know their father's heart. You see, Jesus was coming to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus was coming to point them to a savior. Jesus was coming as a father and saying, listen, I want to draw my children as a hen draweth her chicks. Both sons for the record. We see Nicodemus in John chapter 3, a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He's, a, he's way up there. He's a teacher of the law. And he comes and says, basically, what must I do to be saved? We know that Jesus says you must be born again. Jesus is trying to draw. Jesus is trying to bring them. We can finish the story. But it's not how we think it ought to finish. So let me once again ask you the question, is this me? Is this me? Many times we care so much about our desires that we never seek to understand the heart of the Father. Let me ask you this morning, how well do we know the heart of our Father? In fact, if you're in the habit of writing things down, I would challenge you to write it down this way and ask yourself this every single day. Here's the question. Do I understand my Father's heart? Listen, what if you asked yourself that question every day? Do I understand my father's heart? Listen, wouldn't this have been a topic of conversation around the dinner table every night? Man, your brother's not here. His seat is empty. Could he not have seen the despair, the hurt in his father's face, in his body language? Would he not have heard his father weeping in the middle of the night, begging for his son to come home? Would he not know his father's heart? Oh, he was with him, but he never knew his father's heart. Wouldn't he have heard the quiver in his father's voice when his younger brother's name was mentioned? I believe all of these things he would have noticed if, if, if he was paying attention to the father. So here's another question to ask yourself. Do I pay attention to my Lord? Do I pay attention to my Lord? Or am I so consumed with what I'm doing right here, right now? Am I so consumed with working for him that I don't know him? Am I so concerned with what I can get from my boss? Am I so concerned with what I can receive from God and not understanding who he is? Do I pay attention to my Lord? Notice, I did not ask you, do you read your Bible? I did not ask you if you pray every day. I asked you a very simple question. Do we pay attention to our Lord? I want to give you one last verse, something to think about. 1 John chapter 4, and verse 21. The Bible says this. This commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God, watch now, love his brother also. See, there is no love lost between brothers here. 
There is no love loss between a father and his son. See, as we think about our lives right now, my responsibility, don't miss this, my responsibility is to have a relationship with the father and reach out to my brother. Don't miss this. Let me say that again. My responsibility is to have a relationship with the father and to reach out to my brother. That's my responsibility. So let me ask you again. Is this me? Do I have a relationship with the Father? Do I know his heart? And do I love him? And does that allow me to love the people around me? Because, you know, Jesus loves every single person in this room. Jesus loves every single person outside of this room. And our responsibility is simple, to have a relationship with the Father so we can reach out to the brother. And I believe we can do that. Because over time, when you spend time with the Father, guess what happens? He starts to rub off on you. And you start to feel what he feels. And you start to see what he sees. And I have no doubt that when we feel what the Father feels, we will rejoice when our brother comes home. We'll be praying that our brother comes home. We'll be working hard to see our brother come home. And when he does, we'll be right there to greet him with the Father. Are we reaching out to people around us? If not, perhaps it's because we don't have a relationship the way that we should with our Father. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you so much for the opportunity that you've given us. Pray you'd help us to have a relationship with you. Help us to pay attention to you. Help us to understand your heart. Help each and every one of us to ask ourselves these questions every day. Father, it's so easy to get wrapped up in our, our religion and our work for you. Father, I'll be the first to admit that. I'll be the first one to stand here and, and say, I get so easily wrapped up in working for you that I forget to have a relationship with you. Father, I don't want you to be my boss. I want you to be my very best friend. You're a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. You've saved my soul. You've given me an inheritance. And yet, I still bet beg you for more. Father, would you help me today to know your heart? Help me to understand you. And for these that sit here before us today, you do the same for them. Give us the strength necessary to see if we are the problem and confront the problem and work through it with your power and your strength. Thank you so much for all you do. For all these things in your name. I'm just going to ask you to keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed for a second. This is a time where we make a decision. I hope you will make a decision. I challenge you to write it down too. Some of you may say, I care more about what I'm doing for the Lord than what I know of the Lord. And I need to make a change today. Some of you may need to say, I still do not have a relationship with the Lord. And I'm still doing what I want. It's time for me to come back to him and have a relationship with him. Whatever your decision is, I'm going to challenge you to take some time, write it down.
talk to the Lord about it, commit it to him, and have his will and way done. Let's give you some time to do that right now.